Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here is your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. Hi, I am really looking forward to sharing these next two guest episodes with you. My guest has been on this journey for over two decades with the loss of multiple children, so she is someone who really understands what this journey is like. Deborah Lynn Hayes is an author and speaker who understands everyone's journey through mourning and into healing is an individualized process, and it is priceless to connect with someone who gets it. She has many years of corporate experience where she strategized success for individuals and teams. Today, she uses those same skills as she leads and guides those who have experienced major tragedies, deep heartaches, and mind-altering disappointments. So now that you know a little bit about Deborah Hayes, let's get to it. Here is the first part of our talk together. Well, welcome, Deborah. We ran in the same circle for a few years with the Igniting Souls Tribe, which is where we met. Mm -hmm. And I have read your book, Rise, and the subtitle is What to Do When Hell Won't Back Off. And for some reason, it has taken me a while to invite you on the podcast. And I'm just going to chalk it up to God's timing because I just got really excited about being able to talk to you about a couple of topics. So thank you for coming on with me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's I love what you're doing because I know that you've been through tragedy as well. And when, um, you know, when you can let God use that to help other people, that just says so much. Well, thank you for this opportunity to do oh, that. Yes, you. you're welcome. Now, you have been on this journey for a long time. So I thought you would be a good one to bring on to talk about what we don't like to think about, which is being here with our children for who knows how many years. But I realized as I was getting ready for this interview, you had so much loss in your life that we really needed to start with the topic of how to deal with life when things keep piling up on us after the loss of our child, or in your case, after the loss of multiple children, because you have lost four children. So Deborah, who, who are these four children? So the first child was in 1990 and that was the, probably the, well, the worst mistake of my life. That was an abortion. Um, I was kind of abandoned, I guess was a good word. Um, abandonment, uh, just quick fear caused Mm -hmm. me to make the worst decision of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I held that in for many, many years. And part of this, I just want to put in part of this was being in the church world and just the condemnation that would have come your way. Right. I mean, as far as you just said, you know, holding it in for years. Right. Yeah. I held it. I held it in for years because as a church girl, I grew up Mm -hmm. in the church Mm -hmm. and, you know, that is just such a topic that can turn into a judgmental conversation. Or judgmental vibes. Mm-hmm. But so I, you know, I felt like I'm the church girl. I can't talk about this. I have to hide it. But you know, when I did research, when I finally decided, you know, I'm, I'm just talking about this because I need healing for it. When I did the research on it, the percentages are st- 
staggering mm. with women in the church that have had abortions for, you know, different reasons mm-hmm. um, and the regret that goes with it, that they're hiding behind that mask because of the fear of judgment yes. or the fear of, um, you know, I have this circle of friends who are not going to accept me if they know this. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, there is, there's a lot, a lot of women, every time that I've spoken, even in places that weren't church related, uh, a health symposium, for example, I was speaking and I've just touched on the abortion and went on and I had two women come up there and said, I've had an abortion, but I've hid behind it for years. Mm-hmm. There's so much out there. Uh, and that is such a foothold for the enemy to destroy right. yes. destiny. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about that in a little bit. Circle back to that. Who are the other three then? The other three, I was married just shortly after the abortion and my husband had a nine-year-old son. So he became my stepson. His mom had died with cancer. So he was all mine. Mm-hmm. And uh, three years into the marriage, we had another little boy that was stillborn. 13 months later, we had an, a little boy that um, only lived an hour after mm. he was born. And then three years after that, my stepson, who was 19 at the time, two weeks later would have been 20, uh, was killed in an accident. Mm. So within four years, uh, we buried all three of of the children that I actually had. Wow. So, I mean, that's that's huge. Now, the title of your book has a very personal significance to you, the initials. And why is that? RISE, R-I-S-E. Yeah, this is the book, um, Rise, What to Do When Hell Won't Back Off, which was, I call the a decade of 1990, the decade of hell, mm. uh, because it was just one right after another. Yeah. But the letters rise are the initials of all four of my boys, Randall, Isaac, Stephen, and Ephraim. Mm. As an author, I know that that word is overused. Mm. I know there are other books out there. There are songs out there. There's movies, there's TV shows, all mm-hmm. the rise. But for me, I couldn't name it anything but rice because that is the initial. Yes. yes, yes. Now, I love the introduction of your book where you talk about feeling like you were a mole in a whack-a-mole game. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and it wasn't just these four children. I mean, you lost your marriage, your house, you were in financial ruin. I believe your father passed away somewhere in there also. So do you remember feeling like you couldn't make it. I mean, you just said the nineties was like a decade from hell. Were you suicidal at any point? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I felt like right. I mean, right after the abortion, I lost my father. I'm an only child, daddy's girl. So that was kind of like the first blow, the first seed that was planted. That was like, "Mm, maybe I'm getting back for having that abortion. Then the other the other three children, by the time that I had lost the third one, I was thoroughly convinced that God was mad at me for the abortion and he was punishing me by not letting me have um, the other children here on earth, which, you know, if you if you're in your mm-hmm. right mind, you know that that's not true. But when you're not in your right mind and when you're exactly the lies that that the enemy is uh, throwing at you, because when you go through loss, their blame is such is such um, a, an entanglement. Yes, and the enemy loves to get in there, and if he can point the blame at you, then you will lose your destiny and you will lose your purpose. So that's exactly where I lived for ten years. Hmm. I felt like God was punishing me. Well, when you have no hope, um, you do start the downhill spiral. So where my healing actually began was the night that I felt. I was having suicidal thoughts. I did not try it, 
but I was laying there in the bed. It was raining outside. There was a storm. I was calculating in my mind how I could take pills and just not wake up mm. because in my mind, I had more in heaven than I had on earth. My children yeah. were there. Yes. My father was there. My marriage was, in, was not good. So I didn't care if I stayed for that or not. And so in my mind, it, it, it was selfish, but I was thinking, mm-hmm. I need to be there because that's where my children are. Yes. So that's where I started. I knew, though, at that point, I was at the end. It was either end or begin hmm. because there was no other choice. You were ending it all or you had to begin with hmm. your healing and change your life. So I knew I either had to just take the pills or say a prayer. And at that particular point, I was mad at God. You know, number one, I think he was punishing me, but I was also mad that, you know, you could have at least left one child here, but no, right. you know, so that was what was going through my head, but I still had enough foundation in faith and in the Lord that I knew prayer was my only answer. But when I did pray, the only thing that I could get out of my mouth was, you know, God, I can't trust my husband and I don't even like you. <laughs> that was it. Mm. That was it. That's where my healing began because that's when I first got honest with the fact of this is who I am. This is my thoughts. This is what you've got to work with, God. You know, I'm not, I can't mm. pretend anymore. And from that point on, the healing did start. As soon as I got that out of my mouth, that still small voice immediately inside was impressing me that. Only need the faith the size of a mustard seed, and I will completely heal you. And so, for me, even to think the faith the size of a mustard seed was huge because right. I didn't have it. I was mad at God. I was thoroughly convinced not only that He was punishing me, but that I deserved it. Hmm, right. It wasn't like I was trying to resist it. Every time something was happened, it would be like, "Oh, well, I deserve that." Look, I had that abortion. Hmm. You know. So it was all of that. But then when He said, "I will completely," He didn't just say. I'll heal you, but I will completely heal you. Hmm. And that is where the healing actually began is when I got honest and just laid it out. I'm like, okay, God, this is, this is why I feel this is what you got. <laughs> exactly. I don't even like you, God, but I don't know what else to do. <laughs> yeah. And, and if anyone has ever seen a mustard seed, it is teeny tiny. You almost need a magnifying glass to see it. <laughs> I mean, they are tiny, but you felt like you didn't even have that. I did not. I did not. Number one, I felt God was mad at me. And, you know, I felt like I deserved all the punishment that I got. So I was worthless in my mind. You know, I was never enough for anything. I never had enough. I never measured up because I had had that abortion. Mm. And I opened the door for all of these lies of the enemy to just beat me down and beat me down and beat me down until I truly felt I was worthless. Mm -hmm. Nothing to offer anybody. I want to read something that you wrote. I went from blaming God and being angry at him to carrying all the condemnation and guilt of my bad decisions. I was convinced that God had punished me for the abortion with the death of my three sons. My own forgiveness was the hardest to accept. After letting go of my shame and condemnation, I saw God as a loving father and my best friend and not the thief I had perceived. What was, was that a process? I mean, it wasn't like something, all of a sudden, something just instantly lifted from you and you could tackle life again. What, how long did this take? What was this process like for you? 
It was a long process. And that's one of the one of the biggest deceptions of the enemy, especially for women that have lost children, is that you're going to snap out of it. You are not. Mm-hmm. You are not going to snap out of it. It will always be something that is a part of you. Mm-hmm. And there will always be a piece of your heart that belongs to that child. So it's not something that that the that you flip. It's not right. a switch that's flipped. Mm-hmm. But God has a very specific healing for every person. Your healing is not going to look like my healing. My healing doesn't look like someone else's healing because I have a different purpose. I have a Mm -hmm. different destiny, but he will take anything that you've gone through, whether it be the loss of a a child, whether it be, you know, you went through a season, you just had a bad attitude and you just, Mm -hmm. you know, no one locked you, (laughs) you know, whatever. He will take anything in your life and with his hands, he will design it. He will take what was bad. And Genesis 50 tells us this, that he will take what was meant for a harm and use it for our good. Mm -hmm. He will specifically design your healing for you step by step. And then, you know, as you, as you are intentional and you're keep the motive, you know, the motivation going and the momentum going with letting him heal you, you'll start seeing differences in yourself. You can't compare yourself to anyone else. You can't compare your healing to anyone else's healing because you're unique in God's eyes and he has a specific purpose and a, and a specific healing pathed out for you. And I think it's important that we understand that God didn't like kill our child or even allow our child to die because that's the way we could fulfill this purpose he had for us. It's the other way around. He knew the number of days our children would have and he knew how he could in, in our future, how he could use that. When you were talking, I was picturing that potter's wheel. You know, mm-hmm. he is the potter, I am the clay. And how it's all based on relationship. I just, just seeing his hands, just his gentle hands coming down to us as like that mangled piece of pottery on the wheel that he is now reforming and reshaping. And I know years ago, I just remembered this. I was crying and all of a sudden I saw in in my mind, you know, some people call it a vision or whatever, but I saw Jesus and the pottery was on the wheel and his own tears was what was wetting that pottery to shape it. Because, you know, a potter has to keep the clay wet and he was crying for me and his tears for me is what was reshaping me. Mm-hmm on that wheel. That is beautiful. So it's all based on relationship, isn't it? I mean, even if our relationship is, I'm mad at you, I don't like you, but here I am. Mm -hmm. That's all he needs. One of the things that you said is really one of my pet peeves. I get so passionate about it where, you know, people will say, well, well, God let this happen so that this for a reason, right? Everything happens for a reason. God will work it all out for good. Yeah, he will work oh. it out. But he didn't, you know, no. he didn't say, okay, I'm going to take your child. He, no, no. Like we live on a cursed ball of dirt. Yes. And it's like tragedy comes to everyone. It's not measured by whether you're good, whether you're bad, mm-hmm. what, what God can do with you, what he can't do with you. We live on a cursed ball of dirt. And as Christians, how we respond to tragedy 
is our is our legacy and is our destiny. It's oh, not that good. happened or didn't happen. It's not that God made it happen. He did not make it happen. Right. But he has you in his hand when it does happen. And yes. it doesn't destroy you. You know, one of my favorite verses is John 10, 10. And it's like the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus came that we could have life and we could have it abundantly. You know, abundantly is a huge word. And yes. that's fine. Your abundance is different than my abundance. It has nothing to do with money. But your abundance in joy and, and uh, life is different than my joy in life. But God never said I came that you can have abundant life, provided nothing bad happens to you, because I can't work with that. Right, right. No, he didn't give. He did not give exceptions in that. Mm-hmm. He came that we can have abundant life. And that abundant life means that, yes, we're always going to miss our children because we, we're human. We have emotions. That was a part of our heart that was ripped out. And it yes. was a hard season to go through. But you know, in second Corinthians, it's like everything we go through is to help someone else. You know, mm-hmm. we can use what we've been through because there's going to be other people behind us going. And once again, that's not why it happened. It's not why it happened. It's a result we can allow. We we have a choice. That's part of that abundance, really. Yeah. Because when have- you can begin to give back to somebody else after you've been through something traumatic and tragedy like this, there's life in it. There's right. abundance in it. And there, you know, there were people in front of me, and that's one of the reasons that I wrote the book is because after after my nineteen year old was was dying, I I was living in Ohio. My hometown is in Tennessee. My first grade teacher was a good friend of the family, but she ran into my mom and asked her how I was. The mom told her and everything. She bought me a book and mailed it to me of a woman that had written the book, and she had lost two children. Now that particular book did not completely change my my whole perspective at that point but it was a place of connection mm-hmm. it was a place that i could say oh she gets it this lady that's writing this book understands what i'm going mm-hmm. through that's the way god will heal you it will be little, little things yes little things. seeds of hope mm-hmm. that he will nourish and that we need to nourish right yeah right. yeah and they come from all directions you know it's like we um if we seek, we will find, you know, if you truly want to move out of the pain and move past the pain and you're truly, you know, asking God, what, you know, what next, what, how, how are you going to heal me? What do I need to do? He'll answer. He'll answer. And it may not be right away. I mean, it could be a week, two weeks, a month. And it's like, why are you taking so long, God? And I think it's because the, the work is so deep. He is doing it, but it's so deep. We don't recognize it for a while. And don't compare it with anyone else's exactly. because my, my biggest healing in the, in the initial shock stage was I bought a motorcycle. Oh my goodness. Cause it was like, I, the pastor at our church said, do something. Cause I, when I was in the pity party, I mean, I was the mm. star of the party. It was all about me and I had lost the children and everyone should just come in and, you know, just sob with me. And, I, you know, I have a friend that she wrote a book called there's a party in the pit and you're invited. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh-huh. And so he came, you know, he came over and he told me, he's like, you know, you need to learn to do something that you've never done before, because what it's going to do is going to challenge your mind to learn something new. And it's going to start to project you towards something instead of focused on the pain. 
So, and I'm sure he was probably thinking, you know, crafts or something. But <laughs> Learned to knit. <laughs> I learned, I woke up and I want a motorcycle. I'd never ridden one in my life. But learning to ride that motorcycle, taking the safety classes, learning to do all the things, you know, I'm claustrophobic, had to learn to ride, this, wear that helmet. You know, that truly was one of my steps because I, I started something new. I started challenging my thoughts mm, to, yeah. to embrace something new. Yeah. And so, and let's tell everybody to go buy a motorcycle. You'll know if you don't have a passion for it, don't touch it. But it will be <laughs> right, right. You know, it will be something. <laughs> That's, that's inside you that, that you need to move toward. Now, I, I have a quick question. Why a motorcycle? Did your, did your stepson, was he into motorcycles? Was that okay? So, because a lot of times we think it's going to be something that has to do with our child. It's something that's going to carry on their legacy. It's going to, no, it's something totally unrelated. I had some friends that had one and my husband used to have one. So no, we we didn't even have one in the family. I just thought, I'm going to ride a motorcycle. There you go. I got a very safe one. I didn't go crazy. I got one. It was in BMW R65. That's just, it's very balanced. You know, okay. fortunately I had people in my life that were like, okay, we're going to make sure you get the right bike. <laughs> <laughs> they understood the fit. They understood balance. They understood Anyone the- that knows me knows I have to have something very low to the ground. <laughs> right, right. I, had a, I had a 250cc scooter for a while that I had to have a motorcycle license for. And, exactly. Uh, yes, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, just if you start something new, be wise, you know, surround yourself, ask questions, um, you know, to to make the right choices. But that, you know, that can be such a practical part of your healing. Healing is mm. not always deep emotional digging. Yes. yes. Just learn to do something new. Yes. You know? Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you shared that. So I think this is a good chance to turn the corner a little bit and go ahead and talk about the topic that I was originally thinking of, and that's about living out day-to-day life for the long haul. As you just heard, next week I will share our talk about what this journey is like for us years down the road. You may feel like that sounds really discouraging, but you will want to hear what Deborah has to share with us. This is the last week of July, which means it's the last week of National Bereaved Parents Month. If you would like a way to honor your child before the month is out, or anytime really, may I suggest something that I haven't talked about in a while? As most of you know, we live in a motorhome full-time, which we call the Hope Mobile. And for only a $100 sponsorship, you can have a heart decal with your son or daughter's name on it, and where they were from. It says, in loving memory, and then we put your child's name in the middle. There's a choice of colors, and we can connect with you by live video for you to decide where you would like the heart placed. And the love for your child will be on display as we travel across the country. We now have over 120 hearts decorating the Hope Mobile. If you would like to see them, maybe get a little more information about them or have one made for your son or daughter to go on the road with us, go to gpshope.org slash heart decal or just go to gpshope.org and click on the donate tab. Since our house only gets six miles to the gallon, your $100 sponsorship for an in loving memory heart keeps us on the road to be able to continue traveling bringing light and hope to bereaved parents around the nation. And I'll also put a link to this in the show notes. 
Also, I am very happy and excited to say that the audiobook for When Tragedy Strikes, Rebuilding Your Life with Hope and Healing is now available. Not should be, but it is. Yay, woohoo! So if you have been waiting for it, especially to get in on the special promo, you can do that now. If you haven't heard about the promotion, when you purchase the audiobook of When Tragedy Strikes, you can get a coupon code that will allow you to purchase all three of the Rebuilding Your Life guidance courses that are based on this book for the price of only two. So it's only going to be $60 for all three of the courses. Now, since I've been talking about it for a while now, and it was supposed to be available the beginning of July, and we're now at the end of July, I'm not going to share more about either of those here because I've been talking about it for a while. But I'm just going to give you a link to find out more if you haven't heard much about it or you want to find out more. You can go to gpshope.org slash WTS course, stands for When Tragedy Strikes, and there you can find out more about the book itself and about the three different guidance courses. Also, like I said, since we were only going to run this through July, we're going to run it through the end of August because it just took so much longer for the book to become available than we expected. So to get in on this special, after purchasing the audiobook from your favorite book supplier, go to gpshope.org slash WTS promo and submit the needed information and we'll send you the code to put in when you purchase the course bundle and it will give you the discount of getting the third course for free. And I'll put a link in the show notes for these things as well. Let's go ahead and get to our birthday segment today. Oscar Lopez was born on July 23rd and is forever 23. Caden Josephine Turner was born on July 26th and is forever 18. Jordan Spears Hodson was born on July 26th and is forever 32. Claire Rebecca was born on July 27th and is forever five years old. Daniel Kravitz was born on July 28th and is forever 32. Easton Holden was born on July 28th and is forever five years old. Joseph Ray was born on July 28th and is forever 26. Dane Sturm was born on July 29th and is forever 21. As always, we celebrate the day these children came into the world. It will always be a special day and worth celebrating. If you would like to have your son or daughter's birthday announced to the listeners the week of his or her birthday, all you have to do is go to gpshope.org slash birthdays. Submit the needed information, including the pronunciation of your child's name, first or last, if it ever gets slaughtered, because I want to make sure I say it correctly here for you. And Dave will send you a reminder email the week of the birthday announcement so that you can be sure to listen in. It may not feel like it, but God is waiting to run to you. No matter where you are on this journey or how long it's been, the first step is to get real with God. Your relationship with Jesus is the foundation of your healing. It's where it all starts. And how he does that will look different for each one of us. I want to remind you that there is no condemnation 
in Christ Jesus. Just like he told the woman the people brought to him to be killed by stoning her to death because she'd been caught in the act of adultery, he told her, I don't condemn you. We're familiar with John 3.16 that tells us God gave us his son as a sacrifice for us. And that's a crazy thought at how much God loves us. And Jesus also said he gave his life willingly. But a father willing to sacrifice his son in death so that you and I could have our children alive together forever, no longer under the curse of this world. I mean, that's crazy to me. But so often we forget about the next verse, John 3, 17. And it says, Jesus himself said, he did not come into the world to condemn us, but to save us, to give us an eternal salvation, no longer under the curse of the law, not just when we die and go on, but here while we're on earth. So we are in a covenant of eternal life that starts now with no condemnation from God whatsoever. And this means that he is not punishing you for anything in your past. If that were the case, the torture and the death that Jesus experienced here as one of us was worthless. He took all of your sin. He took all of the punishment you deserved. He became cursed so that you could live free and forgiven in your soul and in your spirit. We are still living in a cursed world, but our children are not. I hope you join me next week for the rest of my chat with Deborah Hayes. And in the meantime, remember to hold on. Pain eases. There is hope.